And so I'd like to welcome everybody uh, with us as well as online uh, to Evergreen Heights online service and live watch party. Yeah! We got a very special uh, service this morning. We have a missionary by the name of Derek Paterno. Derek works in the northern part of Ontario. And what Derek has been called to do is actually really important for us to hear. Derek is working on the reserves in, uh, in northern Ontario. He used to be with Multiply, which was our, uh, I think he still maybe is with Multiply, which is our missions wing of our denomination. And uh, he has established a ministry that is absolutely revolutionary when it comes to reaching Aboriginal people. And the insight that Derek is going to bring to you today through an interview, I want you to hear the words that he is speaking, because he is going to call us to own some things that many of us really don't want to own, because we, we feel like we're just removed from it. It wasn't us, it wasn't our generation, it wasn't, uh, yeah, 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 uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. He's going to call on us very discreetly to repent of that. And Derek has a really good message uh, that he takes to the Aboriginal people, and that's the gospel. He will talk a little bit about how he brings the gospel to a group of people who have been deeply wounded by the Christian church. And so he's going to explain a little bit about that. I asked one of our elders, Brent Easy, uh, to host this Zoom interview uh, with Derek, And the reason I did that was because Brent has actually gone on a tour uh, up into northern Ontario to see the work that Derek has been doing. And denominationally, we're digging right into this because we've created a whole other credentialing process for Aboriginal people because we believe that Aboriginal people can minister to Aboriginal people. And so we want to credential them, bring them under our blanket, and just bless them to serve their communities. And so... The reason we're bringing Derek to you is because he's a missionary that we are becoming engaged with. And so in 2021, we'll be directly supporting him financially. Uh, In 2020, we've been interacting with him and working toward uh, that relationship. And so this is this morning, your introduction to the calling that Derek has received in Christ and the work that he is doing. And so uh, I just want to pray a blessing over this Uh, interview today and that your hearts would be touched. Father, as we are introduced to Derek, as Brent introduces us, I pray, Lord, that we would hear what it is that he has to say and that we would hear his hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Evergreen. It is great to see you today. Great to be in your presence. And uh, I ask that uh, you lean into this particular interview that we're going to have. We're blessed today to have uh, Derek Parento with us. He is a missionary for our nomination. His particular outreach is to First Nations peoples, and uh, we're going to learn something about him and about his ministry today. So, Derek, what first led you into ministry among First Nations peoples? Yeah, that's a it's a great question. Well, first of all, it's, it's great to be here with you uh, today, and uh, good to be uh, uh, with you, Evergreen. And uh, yeah, I'd just be glad to share a little bit. My uh, wife and I, 
we started out uh, a number of years ago, uh, almost 20 years ago now, uh, in Toronto. Uh, and we, we had a ministry at that time uh, working among human trafficking victims uh, in the inner city. Uh, we developed that over a number of years. And it was a really good time. We, the Lord taught us so much. And one thing, though, that we, we kind of stumbled across in that time is probably about half of the women that we worked with that were trapped in prostitution uh, were had a First Nations background. And, you know, I, I'm Canadian and raised in Toronto, and but I never really, like, stopped to recognize or see First Nations people in such a multicultural environment. You're just used to all kinds of cultures all around and not didn't really stop to think too hard about it. And all of a sudden, it just kind of like hit us one day that, you know, this was like, like over half the people we were with and started to ask some questions about the culture, started to ask, get to know people better. And as we were doing that, we just kind of, it just really hit us how we had somehow lived most of our lives in Canada, ignorant to the people who were here first, wasn't really on our radar. And so just through that ministry, we began to just really develop a heart uh, for the people, we learned so much, we grew so much, just really, uh, really touched our heart. But we also just started to keep hearing uh, similar stories of what environments that kind of caused the, the conditions that made them vulnerable to human trafficking. Hey? And I remember one day in particular, I was with um, uh, my wife and I were talking to this one lady uh, from a community not far from where we live now. Uh, we were in Toronto then and another lady came up and attacked her and they got in kind of like a knife fight right there in front of us. We, we broke up that fight and, and uh, I just remember she, the one girl that I was with, my wife went one direction with one girl and I went the other direction with another and she just kind of heaped into a ball on the ground and just started crying and said, you know, I wish, I wish I'd met you, you and your wife before my life came to this. And we kind of in that moment, we just discerned some sort of a call. I didn't know how to articulate it, but we just really felt like God was uh, speaking to us. And so we started to dig a little deeper. We reached out to a lot of great First Nations believers to ask questions uh, and non, non-believers as well, just asking questions. And the more we looked into it, the more horrified we were just see the history of mission among First Nations people is not a pretty history. There's a few highlights here or there by the grace of God, but overall, the, the overarching story has not been a very positive one. It almost seemed like, like we almost started to wonder, like, is there even any way to do this without causing more harm than good? Uh, it kind of just seemed like better, better people than us had gone before us and seemed to have caused an awful huge mess in the history of things. We really prayed and prayed and prayed, and we eventually just felt released by God to just to go uh, to go with the MB family and uh, just to spend the first two years to just learn and be with people. So we just felt the Lord say to us, we felt like, okay, how bad could we mess that up? Let's two years to learn and listen, uh, learn, listen, and love. Those are the three things: learn, listen, and love. And so we 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 made the move. This is nine years ago now. Uh, made the move to the Georgian Bay area, uh, to a little town, and uh, there's quite a few First Nations in that area. And we moved up and just started to to engage and get to know people. And uh, God just really in that time, just really challenged us to learn how to share the good news in a way that it was received as good news. Uh, that's part of the problem. You'd say, 
Jesus or Christianity or God, and right away people hear bad news in their mind because of the whole history. So how do you share the good news when it sounds like bad news? And that was really the challenge the Lord put on our heart, pretty central to our calling, was to to share the good news of Jesus in a way that actually sounds good and newsworthy and brings about that transformation. And so um, we kept kind of leaning in on that. Eventually, we kind of looked to the book of Revelation, Revelation 22. It says, uh, it talks about the tree of life and the new heavens and new earth. And of course, the tree of life's there at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And then it's there again at the at the very end, and it says the leaves, the tree of life will be used to make a medicine for the healing of the nations. And we kind of just got to a place that that was kind of, we kind of discovered our kind of our place in that, that, and we called our local ministry here, rugged tree, uh, just based on that image of the tree of life that's kind of endured through the ages and just uh, looking to bring hope and healing in Jesus name. Uh, And so we've been kind of just learning on a journey ever since on how to, do that through lots of different ups and downs. I can see where that would be a, a real challenge. I mean, when you're talking about people who have historically perceived uh, Christianity as, as a negative, as you say, bad news, uh, that you must need to take a, a different approach to sharing the gospel than uh, would normally be the case. What's that like for you? Yeah, it's quite a few things. Uh, so because the history of mission in Canada was uh, among First Nations people was so tied into colonization that they came so close together that they were almost indistinguishable, which means, you know, colonization and the teaching of Jesus, it's not compatible. And so that just meant a very religious in the in in formal structural kind of a sense of the term religious, a very religious uh, delivery of kind of a yeah, like a kind of a very functional Christendom type of a, in a, a message. Uh, and so, so that's one thing that's very hard is people see it as a, as a very, as a harsh religion uh, with rules. And people will often say to me, you Christians follow a religion where you, you go to church. Uh, we have a spirituality that always breaks my heart thinking, oh man, so sad because we should have brought a spirituality. We brought a religion. And so that's one thing to address in it. There's also the distrust. You know, if, if your Jesus is who he says it is, how, why did you steal from us? Why did you uh, hurt us? Why did you take our children in residential schools? Like if that's what your religion inspires, then it couldn't be very good, which is a logical, that's some, that's some cold, hard, but accurate logic if you just take it in a linear fashion right and so there's these kind of things where we've kind of undermined ourselves based on first of all we brought not the gospel we brought the form the shell of of a religion and then we we did a lot of not good things and so that's a tough one so when we share the good news uh, uh we've had to kind of follow uh apostle paul in first corinthians talks about how when he first came to the corinthians which was a different culture for him, you know, as a Jew going to the Greeks, says he, I, he forgot everything except Christ crucified. We really learned a lot of the stuff that we felt we really had to boil the gospel down uh, to Jesus. And, you know, even though we do, we definitely could describe what we do as church planting, depending on your perspective, anything that kind of seems to do with steeples or pews or, 
religious gatherings of any sort or programs. We just threw it all out. Not because those things are all bad per se, but they were just in the way in this case. And so just really focusing in on Jesus and really trying to focus in on the way that Jesus would do it, which, you know, in my mind, he, he loved people. Then he demonstrated that love by praying for the sick, praying for those who were in need, uh, bringing healing and freedom. And then he spoke truth, uh, truth about the grace and forgiveness of God. And, and so we, we kind of try to just stick to that and not overly try to, we, you know, we're not looking to see people convert in that sense of things. Uh, we know people need Jesus and to give their life to Jesus. But this idea of like a quick and easy conversion where you come in and, hey, pray the sinner's prayer and get this done. It's just not how it is. So we enter into deep relationships, loving people sharing truth and trying to model and demonstrate that truth is so, so important. That's kind of how we kind of go about sharing the gospel. Uh, those are very important things to, uh, to us here at Evergreen. We're, uh, we're less interested in, in the, uh, in the formalities and less interested in the externals. And we're uh, very much focused on, on the relationships on, on the spiritual aspects of it. We want to uh, develop our relationship with Christ rather than our relationship with, with rituals. Um, again, as you say, not that there's anything bad or wrong with those per se, but it, it's easy to, to miss, to miss the heart uh, of Jesus in the midst of all those things. So if you don't use rituals and you don't use uh, those symbols that are uh, pretty much hard to distinguish from the message of Christianity, what then, how do you end up on a, on an average day? What is, what is a, uh, what does uh, life on the mission field look like for Derek? Yeah, there's kind of a few things we do. Uh, they all blend together in real life, but just for the sake of sharing, kind of talk about the few different kind of categories of things that we do. Uh, the one thing that's really important to us is that we only go where we're invited. And people often say, well, how do you get an invitation without fishing for it? Well, it's prayer. So we we engage in a lot of prayer and in that we get invitations and so we go where uh, the local authorities. So the chief and councils and the communities have asked for us to come for a particular reason uh, and the elders of the community. And so we kind of prayerfully go where we're asked to go. So that'd be kind of one thing we go where we're asked. Uh, the second thing is we try not to bring in a lot of outside stuff. You know, we all, it's, it's human nature, no matter what culture you're from to wrap up the, gospel in your own culture like a cultural kind of like a gift wrap a present you know, we kind of wrap it up in our own thing so we had to strip that down and the best way to do that is to not bring in a lot of stuff and so even though we're involved in lots of different programs uh, and kind of compassion ministries uh, everything that we do we go and we partner with the community with things they're already doing and we enter into their programs so instead of coming up with a great addiction program and bring it into the community there's addiction programs already there and by invitation, we enter in to help, to, to, to volunteer really. And so that way we're under the authority and the accountability to the local community. Uh, and uh, that goes a long way to build trust. Uh, it's a great way to connect with people. And now instead of being outsiders where we're kind of coming in and people aren't sure really what we're up to or how we're doing it or where's the money coming from or what are our motives, people kind of know because they know we've been invited. They know we've been kind of vetted by the leadership and they know that we're participating in things they're familiar with. And we're just kind of helping add capacity into what's already happening instead of coming up with my, our great, uh, seemingly great ideas coming into 
ideas that the local people think are great and joining in. So that would be kind of one, uh, another aspect. So we, we kind of pray and go, we're invited. And then we kind of serve among uh, programs and compassion kind of programs that are already existing. So we, we do those things and that's, we spend a lot of time at that. Um, and so the examples of that would be, we do everything from restorative justice programs, helping kind of young offenders instead of uh, doing jail time to kind of do reconciliation with the community uh, and kind of get counseling and support, do addiction uh, programming of various different sorts uh, with the local communities. Definitely do food banks, again, part with the local communities. Um, we do language uh, restoration work we've done, helping do recording of the indigenous languages and kind of coming alongside and doing that uh, and many other things as well uh, over the years, lots of different things, just kind of wherever we're asked. So different communities, the people kind of know us differently. And some communities were the food bank people and some communities were the addiction people. It just depends on what we've been invited into to kind of come alongside. So that would be a big part of what we're doing. Uh, then the other thing that we end up kind of doing out of that, out of those relationships and serving and praying, um, we get to talk about Jesus. And, you know, what we usually say to people is when they ask us, why are we here? People often say, like, what are you doing here helping us? And usually our response is that, you know, we believe that God, the creator, sent us to help people hear his voice in their own homes with their own families. And that's often our response. And, uh, you know, one of my mentors years ago, he said to me, Derek, you know, he's a long-term missionary. He said, it's a bad habit of missionaries to go and give people all, all the answers to their questions about God uh, in terms of the missionary. Missionary giving, hey, here's all my answers to my questions about God, as opposed to giving answers to the questions that the people are actually asking in that context. And, you know, in this context, what we found is that people were just desperate to have a relationship and hear the creator's voice. And so we'd word it that way. And so what we end up doing is people are interested rather than invite them into a church gathering. We don't have any church gatherings the way that maybe you would at Evergreen where we have a building and invite people into it. As we're with people, people invite us into their homes. So first we're invited into the community to serve step and then we're invited into people's homes as we're just journeying with people and witnessing and sharing with christ and so we go into people's homes and uh we just do a very simple kind of what people would call an inductive bible study method where we we share a story and we ask people every time the same question what do you hear god teaching you and how can you put it into practice very simple uh nothing we don't change the questions same questions every time we have a list of a few questions that we go through and so we just kind of do that. And we go through the stories about God and we start actually in creation. So we kind of lay a framework rather than start uh, later on and have to do all kinds of teaching. We don't really do any teaching. We share the scripture. We ask people what God's, we ask, we pray for God to teach, we share the scripture. Then we ask those questions. What do you hear God teaching and how can you put into practice? So over the course of time, what we end up seeing is whole households come to Christ. This is very different. Instead of saying, going and doing outreach events, say, this person came to Christ, this person came to Christ, this person, now we gather them all into our programs and buildings. And then there's a lot of disconnection from culture and uh, family in that often. Uh, seeing whole households learn about Jesus together, uh, learn to pray to, to Christ, learn to walk with Christ. And eventually, Lord willing, often several people in the family come to Christ and they're already a house church. And so 
And out of that, we have ended up kind of developing a network of little house churches. We don't call them house churches. We call them faith circles using a traditional First Nations sharing circle approach. And we just say a faith circle is a sharing circle with Jesus in the middle. And so that's kind of how we go about it, where it's often we meet around a fire or we meet around a dinner table in a person's home by their invitation. And so it takes a lot of the the kind of perceived religious symbols that have so many so much baggage just takes that right out of it because people are comfortable it's in their community in their home with their people and instead of just listening to the outsider teach we're really teaching people to learn right from scripture and listen right to the voice of the holy spirit through the word of god and uh, we just see families really healed and transformed through that so in a typical day we're probably engaging in those things we're praying we're serving in the community among their own programs. And then we're, we're starting these faith circles, which are just kind of like uh, this journey with different families uh, to come to know Christ through the stories of scripture. And so we're out doing that all over. We, we traveled a lot of different communities. Uh, for the first number of years, we were focused on, on six particular communities and one side on the six Highway 69 corridor of Georgian Bay. These days, we've moved a little farther north to Sudbury. And so we're working in... Uh, we have multiple team members now, uh, so we have, it's not just me and my wife and children anymore. There's uh, several other families spread out over a number of communities, over several hundred kilometer area, uh, where we're kind of all just living that kind of life of deep prayer, compassionate kind of partnership with the community, and, uh, and, and starting faith circles uh, among people in their own households. That's kind of what we that's the basic rhythm of what we what we do. Yeah, I, I, I'm hearing a lot of uh, a lot of humility, a lot of uh, willingness to go in as learners, and uh, which is sort of things that uh, that speak to a, a posture, a, a particular attitude towards uh, towards other people. Um, that kind of says we want to love you before we want to teach you, um, and that uh, that's that's something that uh, certainly we strive to do um but i'm also hearing that you that as part of your i don't want to call it your method but just the way that you that you approach things is you it sounds like you want to take the 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 extra baggage out of the out of the gospel that maybe is a has accrued to it and just grown on it over time and take it away so that the people you're talking to can can find their own meaning in it. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a, a core of, of the Christian message that that you can't take away, but but they can take their own ownership of it. Like when you say when you talk about um, about the circles and getting to understand, do, do you find that the that that they become um, their 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 Christian gatherings, but they're indigenous Christian gatherings? Absolutely. You know, one thing that I just, you know, my faith has grown so much in is, uh, you know, Hebrews 13, uh, I think it's 13, 8, either 13, 8 or 13.4, but it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it just really has this faith that like Jesus is the same. He is, has always been the great teacher. He always will be that he's not dead. He's alive and very present. And when we, we, uh, bring Christ, he's very capable through the power of his Holy Spirit. He said he'd send the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't leave his orphans. He would remind us of all that he taught. 
and would lead us into all truth. That as we kind of teach people to look into the word and listen to the spirit as they walk with Jesus, it just, people are actually more solid in their faith often than a lot of other approaches to discipleship because people are, are Jesus is doing the teaching and, you know, Jesus isn't afraid to take on flesh. That's who he is. He's the word incarnated in flesh, right? We're about to celebrate that at Christmas. And, you know, he took on Jewish flesh at that time. And, but, you know, Jesus, you know, isn't afraid to look like a white, a white person when he's ministering to white people. And he's not afraid to look like a first nations person when he's ministering and walking among first nations people. And it has nothing to do with changing the core of the Christian message at all or even the fringe of the Christian message, but it has a lot to do with how we experience it and how we function as groups. You know, there's no reason we need to meet in a pew. We can meet in a circle. You know, First Nations people often say, I don't know how you Christians worship when you're staring at the back of each other's heads. Uh, we like to look each other in the eye. And, it, well, that's not changing the core or the fringe or anything at all about Christianity. It just It's a different way of understanding community and togetherness and social interactions and so worship styles again you know whether you do hymns or modern worship none of it sounded the way that jesus and his disciples sang you know different style of music and different language altogether. so for first nations people to use the drum and sing in their language uh again it's not changing anything but when you kind of come in as an outsider i don't know the language i, I don't know how to play the drum so i can come in with a guitar nothing wrong with that per se but by just doing it in this kind of way, it allows people to naturally, as they walk with Christ, find uh, ways of worship, ways of gathering uh, that make sense. And also there's different issues to focus on. It's the different worldview. People see different things pop out at them. And so uh, often you'll find that people read scriptures and things that I would totally skip over. Uh, people just hone in on and they're right. They're accurate. It's just things that I have cultural blinders to. Because I've heard it a hundred times in a hundred different church services where a hundred people all ignored the same thing altogether. We all did it together. And so we get blind to certain things. Whereas people are reading it fresh. If I'm teaching, I, I, I pass on those blind spots. Right. When Jesus teaches, he cuts to the heart. And so what ends up happening is a much more indigenous expression uh, of the Christian faith, not changing the message, but changing just like, I said, you know, we, we can kind of, we all gift wrap the gospel in our own culture. Well, First Nations people can kind of, can take on First Nations flesh. And that's a good, it's a good thing. And it, it should be like that. Uh, and Jesus isn't afraid of that any more than he was afraid to come as a baby some 2,000 years ago. He wasn't afraid to take on flesh then. He's not afraid to take on flesh now. Uh, but he changes the heart. Amen. It's it's uh it'd be very important in in the work of bringing of building bridges making peace uh, trying to bring reconciliation around here we're not too far from from Caledonia which is a uh, a, a trouble spot it is a place of where where conflict um, frequently arises and uh, can can breed a lot of resentment on both sides of the, of the uh, of the divide so reconciliation is very much a part of 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 the gospel and of course uh, as an anabaptist denomination anabaptist church um we believe that reconciliation is core to to who jesus is and what jesus message is about and who we are uh how we are to behave as christians how, how does how does reconciliation factor into your ministry it's really huge uh 
early on, we weren't sure, like that wasn't an area that we were certainly experts in. It seemed pretty big and overwhelming and intimidating and scary to kind of enter into. So the first couple of years, we kind of tried to not go too much there, but it just became clear, like in terms of like fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission, both this lack of reconciliation was a huge barrier to people experiencing the love of God, the truth of God. And one of the reasons why I think a lot of First Nations churches have struggled is they just, uh, they don't, there's no peace, you know, there's no peace with uh, the people who have brought this over with the newcomers to Canada, which includes all of us who aren't First Nations. And so one thing we saw pretty quickly was as people were able to experience a degree of reconciliation with each step towards experience and reconciliation, people were more open to the gospel, more open to discipleship, and more open to some expression of church. And it's kind of like what I kind of realized, it's like it's, we often feel like we're entering in to a new relationship with First Nations people. Like you say your evergreen shows up in a First Nations community, you're starting a new relationship. But that's actually not the case. We're actually all in a very old, abusive relationship that on our side of things, we just are ignorant enough to not notice that we're in it. But for most First Nations people, they're acutely aware of their history because we are on the white privilege side of things where we've just inherited a lot of stuff out of it and we can just move on without thinking about it. Uh, in their case, because of the, the oppression, are very aware of it and they don't really have the luxury of not being aware of it. And so because of that, uh, you can kind of come in and be like, hey, I'm just the new guy. I'm here. I never did anything to you. And here's the gospel. We don't realize we're coming in almost like an abusive partner back into a relationship saying, hey, let's get back together. It's fine. And people might have some questions. Hey, you know, if you think of a couple that maybe had domestic violence and, uh, you know, the abusive partner left, then all of a sudden they show up again and say, hey, honey, I'm home. You would want that, that, that person to say, hey, did you do anger management? Have you been getting counseling? Let's get some third party to kind of help mediate. Let's, you're gonna have to earn back my trust. You would kind of go through all those steps. You wouldn't expect them to just show up and be like, announce, ta-da, I'm here. Isn't that great? You'd be like, well, maybe not. <laughs> and that's kind of how it's perceived. And so because of that, it's very hard to enter into a gospel dialogue without earning back that trust. And part of that is owning the mistakes of the past. You know, again, if that abusive partner showed up and we're like, what, what's wrong? Nothing, everything's fine. It wasn't that bad. You advise that person, don't let him back in your house. Not a good idea. You know, it's that kind of thing. We have to own it. We need to own what's happened, acknowledge it freely, not be afraid to have things come to the light and kind of deal with it. And what we find then is that then we can actually walk in real relationship together. Without that, we're in an unhealthy relationship that we don't realize we're in and that affects the body of Christ. You know, and we know from scripture, it says that, you know, when one part's honored, we're all honored together. One part suffers, we all suffer together. And first nations people have suffered, but first nations believers as well have suffered a lot of marginalization within the body of Christ. Haven't been extended the same rights that we would have in terms of worshiping in indigenous kind of contextual ways. Uh, and so there's a lot of hurt there. And so, it, the work of reconciliation is so important because it allows people to just really enter into the deep healing that Christ brings. You know, we, we know from scripture, it says Christ is 
reconciling all things unto himself. You know, he the, carries the ministry of reconciliation, that he is the prince of peace, and he is not afraid to have these kind of talks. And we're all one body, and we'll all be there with our tribes and tongues intact. You know, so it says every tribe, tongue, and nation, we're all there together as one family, but with our tribes and tongues and nations intact uh, when Jesus returns. And so, but so we, we need to be able to engage that in that kind of a way, in a good way. Uh, so that it opens up, it creates an environment of healing uh, when we can do that. Without that, it's an environment of distrust, which really makes it hard to engage in the healing needed to walk in the fullness of what Christ purchased for us on the cross. He, he purchased all that healing for us and all that reconciliation for us on the cross. So if we don't enter into these kind of talks, we thwart any kind of church planting, discipleship, or gospel kind of sharing type uh ministry is just you're you're behind a gigantic 400 year wall a gigantic wall like the great wall of china kind of wall it needs to be torn down uh in order to really enter in and so uh and it's it's not just i, I don't mean to make it sound like it's only important for first nations people to engage in reconciliation it's also important for us as we carry this big uh we are wounded more than we realize because of this toxic relationship. And the whole world, if you ask them, what's the worst thing the Canadian church has ever done? They'll all say residential school. The whole world knows it. We don't want to own it or think of it that way, but everyone else in the world knows. Remember when you guys did that? It's a big, it's our big issue. In fact, if the enemy was going to accuse us, and we know the enemy's an accuser, his exhibit A before God on the Canadian church would, in my view, 100% be the residential school kind of era. And uh, the enemy is holding that over us. And we need freedom, too. And we need healing, too. We can only, that only comes through confession and repentance and journeying in a better way together. So it's very, very important, the Ministry of Reconciliation for First Nations people, for newcomer Canadians, uh, and for the kingdom. Anybody who's ever tried to, to reconcile a relationship uh, recognizes that uh, it's challenging. There are uh, a lot of obstacles that get in the way. Um, what sort of obstacles, what sort of, uh, of things get in the way of, of uh, reconciliation uh, that uh, in your ministry? Yeah, I think one of the big things is a clash of worldviews. Uh, pretty typically, uh, most uh, newcomer Canadians, most uh, kind of Western-minded Canadians, we have a very individualistic worldview, and we're very future-oriented. So it's very hard for us to understand why we'd be accountable to something that we didn't directly do. It's, it happened a long time ago by people who weren't us, or it wasn't our denomination, uh, or whatever. We have a bunch of reasons to be like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't me. And for most First Nations people have, instead of an individualistic worldview, a very communal worldview, and instead of a future focus, it's more uh, historical. People are understanding where they are based on where they've come from. We understand where we are based on where we want to go. Those two things make it so that it's like two ships passing in the night on this topic of reconciliation. This First Nations people from their worldview, uh, as a group, 
we're accountable both now and in the past for what has happened. And it, the assumption is that we get it and we just don't care. From our perspective, we're thinking, why are people so stuck in the past? Move on so that we can heal already. Like, let's just get this. Let's move forward in a better way. And and it's not really my issue. So we put it on the federal government. We try to find someone else. And we kind of play this game kind of like a hot potato. Like, who's going who's gonna to be holding it when the music stops? And it shouldn't be me because I didn't do it. So we may say, yeah, it's important, but it's not my thing. Let let Trudeau deal with it or let the Catholic Church deal with it or we're trying to hot potato it. So because those two clashing worldviews, we can be in the same conversation. And we see this happen in the media all the time. First Nations leaders sit down with the government to have a, some sort of a talk over pipelines or fisheries or something like that. And you feel like, okay, they sat down. They both walk out of the meeting claiming success. And then a month or two later, you find out they completely disagree. Nothing happened. It got nowhere and things are worse than when they started. You're like, how did that happen? It's because of an actually inherently different worldview. And so uh, that's that's a major challenge would be, be one thing for sure. Uh, the second thing I think is that we tend to think of reconciliation as something in the realm of politics. Like it's a, it's a thing we fix with votes and politicians. And biblically, I think reconciliation is actually the realm of the body of Christ. But we've kind of handed that over to politicians. And then we feel like we have to play politics to engage in reconciliation. We miss the deep spirituality underlying it. And so we get frustrated with politicians and voting and all this kind of stuff and think, ah, I'll leave that for some kind of advocacy expert. And we forget that it's actually inherent to the gospel uh, to, to proclaim that there's no difference between Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, that we're all one adopted into his family. It's actually gospel work, uh, not political work. We've made it political work, though. So that's another big mental barrier. So those two things are huge barriers uh, to engage in. So my, what I've kind of had to learn is one, being a, Jesus is the expert and is the only one who will bring true peace and reconciliation. I believe that in my whole heart. It's what the Bible teaches. And I, I, I'm not waiting on the government to do it. The government will be involved. But that's that's not uh, where I might start. My starting place is Christ and the cross. So I've had to make that worldview shift in order to have a good talks on it. And the other thing is because of these worldview differences between communal and individualistic and historical and futuristic, in my view, because I'm on the side of power in terms of the mainstream culture and holding the, the keys to government and so on and so forth, it's, it's, beholden onto me as a follower of Christ to be the servant and to shift worldviews and engage in the worldview of the folks who have been oppressed. So rather than say, hey, wouldn't it be all easier if you all thought like me, which is what we've been doing for 400 years and is pretty, uh, yeah, it's pretty rude. <laughs> you know, I think the way of Christ is Philippians 2, to become a servant of all, right? To, to humble yourself. And so in my understanding, as Christians, if we can say, hey, first of all, Jesus cares about this and actually is the answer to this one. And two, I need to enter into it and learn to think about this in the way of the folks who experienced the oppression. So we can have a real conversation, sit at the same table together with Christ 
uh, that's been set by First Nations people, and then start to have that dialogue. When that happens, you can see just some incredible miracles take place. Well, Derek, I want to thank you for uh, taking this time to be with us. Um, let's just close with some prayer. Our God, we want to thank you uh, for the blessings of reconciliation. Father, we, uh, we as, uh, as people who have uh, come to know you and are uh, for continually growing in our knowledge of you and our understanding of you, but uh, with a deepening relationship with you, uh, we are so enriched. And Father, we very much want to bring that uh, to other people. Help us, Father, to be great listeners, to be great learners, to be humble, to be so much more like Jesus as we approach um, people who not only need to hear the message of Jesus, but need to, to meet Jesus. And Father, as that uh, as it becomes clear that uh, they need to see Jesus in us, uh, rather than in our in, in our symbols or in our art or in uh, in our proclamations, uh, that they need to see it in us. Father, we pray that uh, you will be uh, working in us to 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 show that kind of, of life, that kind of spirit, um, that we will be showing your life, your spirit to people. I pray, Father, that for uh, for Derek and his family, that uh, as uh, they seek to be obedient to your call, that uh, they will be continually leaning in to you, to your spirit, listening to you, uh, showing forth the best uh, of, of, of what you want to, to bring out in all of us so that we can be uh, blessed to be a blessing to this world. Help us to be instruments of your reconciliation and of your peace uh, that we can be that much closer to and having just more voices, more tongues, more tribes when the time comes and uh, we are all gathered together in your presence. I pray for your uh, for the richness of your blessing upon Derek and his family, his ministry, and upon the relationship that you are uh, hopefully going to be growing from here between uh, his ministry and family and this church evergreen. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm just so thankful for the work that Derek is doing uh, with Aboriginal people in the North. And I actually really believe that a lot of the things that Derek shared with us this morning are actually tools that we should be using as Christians in everyday life to show the world the good news. So, so I actually think that many of the things that he's translated into Aboriginal contexts are actually contextually correct as well of how others view the church too. And so the, the concept of, of just listening, you know, praying and learning is exactly what I think we should be doing in our local communities. And we're actually in process of doing that as a local community that wants to start a site downtown and reach people that maybe don't make their way uh, out this direction in the suburbs where we are. And uh, I I'm, I'm really want to encourage you folks at the importance of the concepts of reconciliation, which is a fancy word for peacemaking. It really is the core of the gospel. I know that some argue with me. Every time I preach on peacemaking, I get plenty of emails. But here's the reality. Just because somebody doesn't believe how you believe doesn't mean they don't believe in Jesus. 
We've shaped a lot of how we look at Christianity based on religiosity as opposed to the genuine good news. And so is the things that you're sharing with your neighbor, is the things that you're sharing with others who don't know Christ actually translating as good news to them? I'm really excited to develop this relationship with Derek. One of our philosophies of working with missionaries is not just about the check. Yes, we supply money, uh, but the money is just the beginning step. What we actually want is a relationship. And so I want to call Evergreen to begin to pray for Derek and his family and the ministry that all of his team are doing in Northern Ontario. I also believe that Derek could be a helping hand in teaching us to minister to a reserve that is less than 20 minutes down the street from us. And I think he's already taught us a lot about how we can just minister to our community. And so I ask that you would just begin to lift him up in prayer. Brent's already prayed for him, uh, but I want you to personally be digging into this and to begin to, to just remember Derek, remember all of our missionaries, and to be praying for them. So I want to do something Um, that Derek alluded to, uh, and we should be doing, I believe, it's a a thing we've lost in the Christian church in in evangelicalism, and that's the art of confession. That before we go into communion, that we should first be in a posture of confessing our sins, confessing our shortcomings, and asking Jesus to, to impede upon those things, so to speak. And so I'm actually going to use a written prayer. Now, I know a lot of people in evangelical circles, especially charismatic circles, they say a written prayer is not led by the Spirit. I would actually argue to say that written prayers are often more led by the Spirit. In the moment, often it's the flesh. A written prayer has had time put into it where it's been tried, tested, and and being shown as faithful to the Word of God. A made-up prayer on the spot, often the enemy pushes into that and a lot of ourselves comes out. So I don't have any preference. I don't care. I'm just choosing to use a written prayer for confession. So I'm going to pray this prayer and I want you to just close your eyes, bow your head (laughs) as every tongue confesses. No, I see that hand. I want you to just press into this. Listen to these words. Let them burn into your heart and lift them up to Jesus. Receive us, O God, as a fearful and broken people. Receive us in our false pride and shattered humility. Embrace us in our bewilderment and anxiety. Save us from the wrong we do and the evil we allow. Tame our rebellion and strengthen our faith. Establish your reign among us, for we need your courage from beyond ourselves to live more fully as your people. Amen. Amen. We're going to our hearts to celebrate communion together this morning. And I love what Derek shared today about stripping down the gospel to just the basic truth. 
point of Jesus, of his death and resurrection and the new life that we have in him. And there's this beautiful truth that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's really what we're celebrating and what we're entering into when we take communion together. And so I just want to invite you to really open your heart up to this reality as we take communion together this morning. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So as we prepare to take communion this morning, I'm just going to invite you to take just a moment to center yourself in God's presence and to be reminded of the freedom that you have, the new life that you have through his forgiveness, through his death and resurrection. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup, blessed it, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the bread and for the cup, for the sign of your new covenant through which we've received forgiveness and freedom from sin. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed and we have been brought over from death into life. As often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's eat the bread and drink the cup this, together this morning, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and with hearts of gratitude for the new life that we have this new covenant through his blood. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. He is the sacrifice of our sins that we might live through him. If God loves us so much, we ought to love one another. If we love one another, scripture says, then God lives in us. I want you to hear that. If we love one another, God lives in us. And everyone said, amen. May you go in peace today. Lift up your neighbor in prayer. Lift up Derek and all of our missionaries in prayer. And begin to unify in the body of Christ by loving one another. May you go 